Lord King of Glory, we continue to worship you for your power, but above all for your love and mercy that is freely bestowed upon us, the children of men, that we are unworthy in every way, but only that you chose to love us with your mercy, with your love, with your death on the cross. And Lord, I know that you are just to do exactly the same in Scripture, that do not hate one another, be kind to one another, and love one another just like the Lord himself forgave you, you should forgive others. Teach us to love others. I pray for people as you pick this message, when you're struggling with your brother, with your sister in a family, you don't see eye to eye, and some people go ahead to continue hating even their graves, the graves of their brothers, sisters, workmates, people that you've worked with, you can hardly want to see them. I pray that God will give you the grace to release them and not to go beyond what the Lord has actually done for us. May God bless us, even as we mend broken relationships and fences and live once again in peace. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed and believed. Amen. A blessed, blessed, wonderful day, friend. Whatever you're picking our messages from, we are still here continuing with our teachings and studies in the book of Amos. And I know that they surely are a blessing. They've been a blessing to me. I continue to learn this book as I teach about it. And God, I want to thank you. I don't take this for granted, neither do I want to assume that I know everything in it, but I get to learn even as we get to share this uh, together. Today we are doing the sixth judgment um, of, this, uh, the, the, of the sixth nation uh, that is judged in this book of Amos, and that is uh, the nation of uh, Moab. Today we start or embark on chapter 2 of Amos, that is chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, and our theme is entitled, God is judgment of Moab for her unrelenting wrath and desecration of the bones of the king of Edom. You can simply say, God is judgment of Moab for um, uh, her desecration of the bones of the king of Edom, but that kind of cuts it short, so we're going to use the long version, God is judgment of Moab for her unrelenting wrath and desecration of the bones of the king of Edom. Recently, there was a, um, a video that uh, made rounds on WhatsApp with a, a young man beating up the, um, allegedly, uh, the, the, the grave of his father, really beating it up seriously and saying, why didn't you take care of us? Why didn't you prepare for us? We are now suffering. Let me beat you up. And really took some time having a proper beating at, <laughs> at the thing until I think a mother or some sort of relative came and took him away and said that wasn't necessary, but he was really enraged. Friends, there are people that get cross with others to the point of wanting to follow them up in the grave, and they do that kind of thing. They cast them even when they are dead. That simply shows you that this goes beyond um, a, a, a mere, you know, a mere desecration. It goes be, beyond a mere wrath, but it goes deeper to a wrath and unforgiveness. What this person is actually saying is, if this person was still living, this is what I would have done to them. Now, this is uh, what uh, the king of Edom, um, this is what the king of Moab did to the king of Edom. But first of all, let us read the scripture here. Amos chapter 2, <clears throat> in verse 1 to 3, it says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke his punishment, because... He burnt the bones of the king of Edom to lime. So I will send fire upon Moab, and it will consume the citadels of Kerioth. And Moab would die um, amid tumult with war cries and the sound of a trumpet. 
verse 3, I will also cut off the judge from her midst and slay all her princes um, with him, says the Lord. Yes, so that, that is what the word of the Lord says. It's God's judgment of Moab for her unrelenting wrath and uh, desecration of the bones of the king of Edom. That is our, uh, that is our theme this morning. Now, um, friend, you're going to realize that, first of all, Moab and Edom were brothers in a sense, because you remember that when you go to your Bible in uh, um, Genesis chapter 19, around verse 35 onwards, you're going to find out that Moab and Ammon were brothers, uh, that we were got out of um, um, a sinful relationship, uh, um, an incestuous relationship. It was through incest that they were acquired between um, Lot and his two daughters. We've done that before. But remember that Lot was um, Abraham's nephew. Lot was Abraham's nephew. And Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac um, begot two sons, Esau and Jacob. Now you remember that actually Esau is the father of Edom, or the Edomites, and Jacob is the father of the Israelites. And then we can see that they are clearly related. Now, when you get them getting into this kind of intense hatred, you can see that these are people that are related. And this is not um, quite uncommon in our generation. It is common. You find blood brothers that cannot see eye to eye. And then these kind of things can go on till the people die. And even beyond that point, someone says, I hate them to death. They're like, I don't even want to look at their grave. You work with someone, they hate you so much to the point that even when you die, they are really happy about it. They are really happy. And you know that our culture has so much in common with the culture of uh, the Jews. Yeah, like how we treat the dead. And people usually in that culture had, uh, uh, you know, kind of a custom. Like if someone dies, you see, you, you, you kind of uh, treat the dead with respect. You know, there's... There's a king about which it is written that he wasn't even buried uh, with the, um, his forefathers, that he died to no one's regret, that he didn't even have a grave. That is a big statement in Hebrew culture, you see? So that is what was happening. But the most important thing here, which is the theme of our focus, is that God uh, judges Moab or judged Moab for burning the bones of the king of Edom. Now, I want to bring uh, you here into perspective when you look at it. Uh, you can see here he says, uh, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke his punishment because he burnt the bones of the king of Edom to lime. Now, how is that an offense? How is that an offense? You can actually see that God is not exactly judging Moab because of desecrating the bones of the dead or because of burning the bones of the dead. It is a judgment that is much more deeper than this. Where do I de derive this? In 1 Kings chapter 13, God commissioned what he calls a man of God from Judah. He doesn't mention his name. A man of God from Judah to go down to Bethel. You know that in those days, uh, King Jeroboam was reigning in Israel, and uh, he had set up two altars, one in Dan, another in in, uh, in Bethel. Actually, there was another in Gilgal too. And because of that, he, he had gone against the word of God. 
that had stipulated in Second Chronicles 6, 6, that the name of the Lord would be worshipped in Jerusalem and in several other scriptures like First Kings chapter 11. You can find that there around verse 4 onwards. You see? So because of that, God commissioned a man of God to go to Jeroboam in Judah. And you know that Jeroboam acted with authority and he said, arrest that guy by the altar. And uh, when he stretched out his hand, it's a beautiful story. I can't do the wall of it because it is long. But when he stretched out his hand, and he says, attack him as if intending to hurt or harm the man of God from Judah. You know what happened? That the arm of the king could not be drawn back. It kind of got paralyzed. The what uh, the, the Bible uses is it dried up. And then he pleaded with the man of God. Uh, to reverse the condition but before he did that he cried before the altar and he said o altar o altar speaking of the hidden altar that was built in those places he said o altar o altar a son will be born that shall desecrate the bones of of your prophets upon you altar you remember that in first kings 13 you're going to study that story it will give you proper perspective of what we are speaking about here today and friends, we later know or note that in 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 26, a king was actually born that exactly carried out this operation to the dot of the words of the man of God from Judah. In 2 Kings chapter 23, at 23 and verse, um, um, chapter 23 and verse 16, this was actually done. You check that up. I may do this quickly. Uh, let me just do verse 13 here quickly. The high places which were uh, before Jerusalem, which were on the right of the Mount of Destruction, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth and abomination of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of, the, of Moab. You hear that? And for Milcom, the abomination of the sons of Ammon, the king defiled. He broke the pieces of the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherim and filled their places with human bones. Furthermore, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place with Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, uh, had made uh, even the altar and the high place he broke down. Then he demolished its stones, ground them to dust, and burnt the Asherah. Now, when Josiah turned, uh, he saw the graves that were there on the mountain and he sent and took the bones from the graves and burnt them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the lord which the man of god proclaimed who proclaimed these things you see that so the point here is not so much about desecrating um probably the bones of the king of adam here that is not god's point because you can see that God himself had commissioned a man of God from Judah to do that. It wouldn't have been so much of an evil thing per se. But the point that we are seeing here is that what God is doing is that it is a judgment of immense wrath that was um, executed by the, 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 by, by the king of Moab against the king of Adam, even at the point of death. In other words, it is judgment of sin and evil, of this wrath and unrelenting hate uh, that was exercised in this direction, which can actually show you that there was no godliness and fear of God in the lives of the Moabites. You can see that. They didn't actually do this. There were people that lived off their own gods, another God of heaven who teaches forgiveness. Yeah, you, you can see. You're going to do well to remember that in Numbers chapter 22, 23, 24, we see Balak, the king of the Moabites, 
um, hiring Balaam, a, a prophet, to come and curse Israel for him. You see? So there are people that were wayward. There were really a people that were wayward. This is why when David came, he really had to batter them and beat them up. In 2 Samuel chapter 8, you see, but later they went on regaining their independence uh, at some point, especially in the days of the son of Ahab, you see? And uh, they began struggling with Israel again. But there is something that brings this out better uh, that comes out well in 2 Kings chapter 3, where we can base to explain this scripture much more better for proper proper perspective. Uh, there was a battle that was held between Israel, led of, I think, Jehoram, and uh, Judah, led by uh, Jehoshaphat, a holy king, and then the king of Edom. There was a, co a coalition of three kings that went to assault Moab. Why? Because Moab had risen against um, Israel and uh, was no longer remitting its um you know the reparation that they had to 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 pay because uh, they were under israel at that point uh, you see so the king of israel came to jehoshaphat to convince him you know they were related by marriage um to convince him and um also the king of edom as well to attack moab now what happened was that when they got there they could not find water but later they went to the man of God, Elisha, in that place and was able to uh, bless them on account of Jehoshaphat. It's a long story. You're going to study. These are things you should follow up, friends. They edify you and um, connect your spirit to the Lord and they really, really give you power. And once you start meditating upon them, your life can never remain the same. Now, they got to a point and they were really beating and battering up Moab in battle. And when Moab realized that they were losing the war, this king of Moab tried to cut through the coalition of these forces, but he wasn't looking for anyone else. He was specifically looking for the king of Edom. And uh, when that happened, he, when he could not make it with about 700 men, um, he kind of resorted to taking... You need to be careful to study this to understand it. If you don't, it will appear like the king of Moab is slaying his own son. At first sight, that is what it appears to be, but it actually isn't. So he resorted to taking um, the crown prince, that is how I can put it, the son of the king of Edom that should have um, succeeded him. So in a, in, in a sense, this was the king of, of Edom, even when the uh, father was still actually living. And he burnt him on the altar alive. He burnt him on his altar, and this kind of thing really, really became obnoxious to uh, the Israelites, and they quit out of the battle. I want to read this uh, verbatim so we can uh, get to summarize it and then understand the point here. Let me take it from verse 25. Thus they destroyed the cities, and each one threw a stone. Second Kings chapter 3, verse 25 to the end is what I'm reading right now. Thus they destroyed, speaking of the coalition of the three nations, Israel, Judah, and Edom that had come to attack Moab, just like I've just explained here. Thus they destroyed the cities, and each one threw a stone on every piece of good land and filled it. So they stopped all the springs of water and felled all the good trees, until in Kal, Hare Seth, only they left its stones. However, the slingers went about and uh, what about it and struck it? When the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of 
Edom. Now that word is key to the king of Edom. Take note of that. There are three nations. He's not looking at Israel. He's neither looking at Judah, but he simply wants the king of Edom. Why? Because they had been allies uh, for a long time, Edom and Moab. So he didn't expect this man to be standing with Judah and Israel to attack him. And even then, he's looking out um, for the king of Edom. He's targeting the king of Edom and not the army of Edom per se. You can see a zeal to get even. You can see an intense hatred against the person of the king. Uh, you see? And then uh, the Bible says, throw to the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his his oldest son, meaning the son of the king of Edom, since he had failed to get him. He took his oldest son. Now, some, some commentators kind of have made a mistake to think that here it was the son of the king of Moab that was offered. This seems not to be true. And actually, some Bibles put it that way. I think like the, um, what is this, the life applications? That is what it does, but uh, I think the other is the right position. He says then he took his oldest son who was to reign in his place. You see, because he has failed to get the king of Edom, now he's resorting to his son who technically could be called a king. He's a king in waiting, but technically speaking, it would be called a king. Then he took his oldest son who was to reign in his place and offered him as a burnt offering on the wall. And there came great wrath against Israel. And they departed from him and returned to their own land. You see, this is why this, this is happening. So friends, there was a lot of wrath that was exercised by the king of Moab against the king of Edom. Now it is said by most commentators that thereafter he followed up even the king himself, even when he was dead and because he had failed to get him uh, during his life and he burnt up, uh, he, he burnt up his bones. Uh, to the point of making lime out of them. Some commentators have claimed that he ended up uh, using that against the wall, which ideally would not be much to paint a wall. But the point here, friend, is about the, so much the intensity of the hatred and, um, you know, the wrath that he felt within him. It, it, he's like, since I've failed to get you alive, then, then let, let me, I, I better deal with you um, even when you're dead. Now you can see that there was a lot of ungodliness in the heart of this man, the king of Moab. It, in other words, this was a judgment against the intensity of his hatred and the unforgiveness that he exercised towards the king of Edom to the point that when he failed to get him alive, he was more than able and willing to go and deal with him as a dead man and burn up uh, the, the bones of, of, of this man. And friends, isn't this pathetic? And so terrible. Can you see that? But now it is easy to speak uh, or say this against the king of um, Moab. But friends, this is exactly what we are doing. Even in our generation, you find so much, so much hatred in our lives. People hate their blood brothers or their brothers, whatever they may be. And when they die, they, they are like, I, I don't even want to look at their grave. A friend of mine went for burial. He's a pastor. And he tells us that... Uh, he was seated in a taxi en route to the burial. And there were ladies who came laughing and saying, but are you sure he's really dead? And one of them said, my, my reason for coming, I really, really want to see whether that goon is dead. I want to prove. I think this person must have, you know, hurt her so deeply, maybe about relationships and stuff of that nature. And then uh, my 
uh, my pastor friend says when he got there, he watched this lady. You know, we pastors are interested in, in the hearts of the people that we pass out. Now we are going to pray for you. <laughs> and uh, he says that this lady went around the casket, like the viewing, yeah? And when she got there, she really, really, to get her access, she really, really cried and wailed at the top of her voice. Oh, and she was really wailing, you see? And of course, the onlookers could simply have been duped to believe that this lady was probably touched or by, by maybe was remorseful or touched by, um, sorrowful or touched by the death and departure of, of the deceased. But friend, I want to tell you this. Yeah, the, the, my reverend friend says when they were getting back in the taxi, and she was laughing at the top of her voice and, you know, <laughs> giving high fives to her friends and like banange the guy is so dead he i saw him was so dead can you see that you hate someone to the point of hating their dead body to the point of hating their graves you see and this is everywhere you work with someone you hate them so much you go to their barrier to ensure they are so dead you know this is something that god hates in matthew chapter 18 uh, from verse 21 the word of the lord teaches um the, the, the danger of someone failing to forgive. Peter was asking the Lord Jesus, how often should someone forgive? And the Lord um, said, I'm not saying up to seven times, but I'm saying up to seven times, seven times. Now the word seven in scripture, the number seven in uh, uh, scripture or um, biblical numerology, that is what we call it, means completeness. Jesus was, was not specifically speaking of seven times. I know you may be asking yourself, why didn't he say six? Why not eight? Seven means completeness. He means you forgive until you can forgive completely. But then Jesus took it a bar higher and he says, not just forgiving completely, but so completely, but multiplying it by seven, uh, you see? multiplying one complete world by another complete world. And he says, the way you forgive is meant to be a perfect type of forgiveness. Basically, that is what that scripture means. You see? And then later, you realize that um, it was impossible for man to simply do it on their own. Later, Jesus gives them a parable, tells them a parable of a king who came to settle scores with his servants. And then his servant that had not done a good job uh, fell down because he could not pay what um, his master required of him. Now, when you study this scripture, this passage, you get to realize that the amount of money that was required of him is was actually not in Hebrew numerology at that point. They didn't have it in their accounting, meaning he could not be able to pay that kind of debt. Now, he fell down and he... Uh, pleaded with his master, the king, to forgive him. And the king forgave him. But shortly thereafter, he went and found a friend who owed him money, I think about a hundred were denarii. When you look at um, a denarii those days, I'm not teaching forgiveness in this entirety right now. But when you look at a denarii in those days, I think it was a day's labor. Now, it is possible that given time, this man could have paid if you go to Matthew 20, you realize that that is how much they were paying a laborer in those days. So in about three months, he could have paid him off. So you can see that God forgave him what he couldn't pay, but he could not forgive someone what he could probably have settled. And then the fellow slaves went to uh, their master and he told uh, they, they told him what had happened. And then uh, Jesus narrates and says, 
that then this man was thrown into prison until he could pay everything, meaning he couldn't pay. And therefore, since he couldn't settle what his master required of him, he would have easily rotten in the prison. And then he ends by saying in Matthew um, 18 35 and he says my heavenly father let me take it from 34 and he says and his lord moved with anger should repay all that was owed him my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother uh, from your heart friends i know that when we speak of forgiveness it's not an easy thing and all of you are, are probably uh you know, anyone that has been hurt finds it hard to forgive someone. But I mean, how then could you be requested to forgive if you've not been hurt or wounded? <laughs> it is a wounded person that definitely has to forgive. If you see the perspective of Matthew 18, 15, it is actually the person that is wounded that is instructed, first of all, to go to the person that has wounded them. That is the procedure of church discipline. This is what we are saying. You a lady that has been wounded by a man that promised to marry you and he has ended up marrying another. I know someone owes you money and they have ended up hurting you. They've not paid it. Like someone has persecuted you at a place of work and things are not going well. There are people that have wounded you deeply beyond life. That is how you can put it. Some of you could have led a better life if these people had been faithful that um, we are given uh, the responsibility to raise you as trustees. They ended up taking all the money that your father left behind, all the property, and you're really, really wounded. I mean, there are people that hurt you. But friends, there is a ground for forgiveness. The word of the Lord teaches that just like our God, just like our Lord Jesus Christ, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, he says, be kind to one another and love one another, forgive one another, just like the Lord Jesus Christ forgave you. If you don't have any other reason to forgive, the one and main reason we should forgive others is that we are forgiven. In Romans chapter 5, verse 7 to 8, the Bible says that um, 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 while we are yet sinners, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ died for us. You, you, you see that? While we are yet sinners, he died for us. That is one motivation as to why you should forgive. Friends, this is the judgment that was upon Adam, not just desecrating the bones of the dead. And finally, God decides to judge these people in, um, um, uh, in Amos 2, 2 and 3. He says he's going to judge them huh? in Amos chapter 2 and verse uh, 2. In verse 3, you realize that he says he surely is going to judge them. He says, so I'll send fire upon Moab and it will consume the citadels of Kerioth. Kerioth was one of the major cities of Moab. And Moab will die in tumult with war cries and the sound of a trumpet. I'll cut off the judge from her midst and slay all her princes with him, says the Lord. Now there are two judgments here. One, uh, desecrating their major cities and two, cutting off their leaders. When you go to, um, in the judgment, when you go to um, Jeremiah chapter 48, you realize that uh, God actually did this, even when they will have a remnant in one way or the other. It is all over. You can go to Isaiah, these people are judged. You can go to um, um, Ezekiel. It, it, is, it, is a common, it is a major principle in Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture, but I cannot do all those verses. I'm on WhatsApp uh, right now. In Jeremiah chapter 48, I just want to show you that briefly, and then I'll wind up. In verse 24, 41, 45, he speaks about all this stuff. He says in uh, verse 24 that against Kerioth, both of them, or you can take it from verse 20, 
uh, one. He says, judgment has also come upon the plain. Then I'll skip to verse 24. He says, against Kerioth, Bozra, and actually there was also another city called Bozra in uh, both Moab and also Edom. And all the cities of the land of Moab, far and near. You see, uh, the judgment comes forth as well. In verse 41, he says, Kerioth has been captured and the strongholds have been seized. So the hearts of the mighty men of Moab in that day will be like the hearts of a woman in labor. You see, for those of you that have been in labor, Moab will be destroyed from being a people because he has become arrogant toward the Lord. Terror, pit, and snare are coming upon you, O inhabitant of Moab, declares the Lord. The one who flees from the terror will fall into the pit, and the one who climbs up out of the pit will be caught in the snare. For I shall bring upon upon her, even upon Moab, the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. So that is what it is. Friends, God is going to judge that kind of wrath and unforgiveness, but I've showed you that through Christ Jesus, since he forgave us, he can forgive you and also give you the ability to be able to forgive others. May the Lord bless you, even as you ponder upon this message and as you deal with people that have wounded you in your life. Father, I pray for my brothers, my sisters, and everyone that shall pick this message. I'm speaking, Lord, to a lady that has been deeply wounded by her husband that has cheated against her, that has chased her out of the, the family home, matrimonial home, bringing other women right onto her bed. And it is hurting the children that are struggling for all the sacrifices that are, their mother has had to endure. And fr friends, I pray that you'll understand this. May God get into your life. Friend, as you forgive, I know it's not easy, but with Christ Jesus, it's possible. For those that have been wounded at workplaces, those that have been wounded in, in businesses, you had a merger, and then your business partner turned against you. Those that have lost land to the rich, and you look at them, and you have nothing before you. May the Lord give you the grace to forgive. For if you don't forgive, it has very serious repercussions. May God bless you, even as you ponder upon this in Christ Jesus, even as you release your heart in forgiveness, even as you, re you receive the blessing of having being able to forgive those that have wounded you just like christ jesus himself forgave them on the cross and he says father forgive them for they know what they are doing they don't know what they are doing may the same anointing that was upon christ operate in your life in jesus mighty name we have prayed amen